Hello, kiddies. It's your librarian here with a special announcement. The fine folks in Gwinnett, Georgia have invited the Wicked Library to perform during their Spirits and Spirits fun at the Aurora Theatre October 14th. The show starts at 8 o'clock and it's only $25 to get in. You get to watch the Wicked Library perform before your very seeming eyes, live in a lovely theatre. There will also be adult beverages to help enhance the immersive atmosphere. Why, I think I'm even going to be there as well, kiddies. <laughs> Go to tickets.auroratheater.com and get yourself some tickets. It's only a paltry $25, but the going-to-go fast seating is limited. We'll be featuring stories from K.B. Goddard, Christopher Long, Daniel Foytick, and Nelson W. Piles with a custom music score by We Talk of Dreams and live painting from Jeanette Andromeda. Go to tickets.auroratheater.com. This event is sponsored by Explore Gwinnett. We'll see you in Georgia, kiddies. <laughs> Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. This podcast is part of the Darkness Collective. Visit darkness.org to discover more shows like this one. The Darkness Awaits. You're listening to The Private Collector. Hang on to your hats. Things are about to get weird. Episodes of The Private Collector are heard first, ad-free, by supporters of the show. To support the show and gain access to episodes of The Private Collector a year before anyone else hears them, support the show on patreon.com forward slash wicked library or with a membership at thewickedlibrary.com. A little flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you could save at PenFed.org slash auto refi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. A little flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you could save at PenFed.org slash auto refi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Today's episode features the voice talents of Daniel Foytek, Nelson W. Piles, Kareem Cronfley, and Andy Mack.
Private Collector, Season 1, Episode 7, The Son of Smokeless Fire, by Aaron Vleck. Amongst us are some that submit their wills to Allah, the grizzled old wretch wheezed, looking over his shoulder as he handed me the steaming glass of tea on a dirty saucer with two lumps of brown sugar. And some that swerve from justice. Al-Quran 7214, the jinn. What do you think that means, my young friend? He bellowed, ogling me over the tops of his tiny spectacles. Beats me, pal. You want to maybe let me in on it? Was all I could say. Being as I was way out of my depth here, and none of this was exactly my usual line. This was Cairo. That's Egypt, so you know. And this was the first time the librarian had sent me anywhere beyond stateside. I was always game for the new and weird, and this was all sorts of weird. This time I was looking for a book called The Necronomicon. It sounded hankier than usual, and if it hadn't been the librarian talking, I'd have said it was just a bunch of bunk. I was completely on my own here, and the librarian's parting words still haunted me. Be extra careful, Mr. Enfield. I'm afraid this book is beyond your usual expertise and there'll be no aid of the sort you typically enjoy. Cairo is a terribly old place and its streets are teeming with very odd magics that don't hide themselves among the shadows and the nightmares of the mad. In my ne'er-do-well youth, I made the acquaintance of certain individuals there. Who knows? Perhaps one still remembers their old friend. We shall see... We shall see. The old man, Hamid Alwazi, shuffled around barefooted on the thick carpets, his long black robe showing his ankles. I wondered about the librarian's acquaintances here. There was rugs of all sizes stacked everywhere, and brass trays and lamps, and I swear, one of them looked like a genie was going to pop out any minute. Heaps of old jewelry heavy with coins and bells and strips of cloth spilled over glass cases. Canes with weird carvings and stacks of old books and samovars and settis and old leather shoes embroidered in gold with red velvet inside and toes turned up cluttered the place. There was robes covered with tiny glass mirrors, wooden camel saddles with halters dripping with fringe and bells and hookahs and amulets with hands on them, hundreds of them, all shapes and sizes. One little rug on the floor facing the wall looked like it had seen a lot of mileage, I could imagine the old guy kneeling down on it, like they do. Prayer beads made out of some yellow stuff like the ones the old guy was constantly fingering hung on a hat rack. All kinds of coffee gadgets and grinders, looking like they'd been around since the flood, were piled up and covered with dust, and pairs of swanky French shoes were heaped up in a corner, with old uniforms and swords and skinny, long-barreled rifles with designs etched on them in white. I could see crazy-looking horns and big wide drums and long funny-looking things with strings that I figured was for playing somehow, and a polar bear's head on the wall, above a set of low-fat stools the guy said were elephant's feet. There was smells here, too. Lots of them. Most I could place, but also old tobacco and incense smoke, pouring from a little pot on the table. Besides the old man, there was somebody else here, too. A funny-looking guy in black robes lounging cross-legged on a stack of carpets. If he hadn't been eyeing me so close with his strange almond-shaped eyes, I would have sworn he was a statue. 
no introductions were made, and since the guy hadn't uttered a word, I figured he was a mute or just didn't speak my tongue, or maybe didn't want to. You're looking for gin, the old man whispered, looking around. I have what you need, he added in a conspiratorial whisper as he dug out a dusty book from a pile and shoved it in my hand. This book. You call up the gin now. They do your bidding. Kill your enemies and bring the woman you love to your bed. Guaranteed, my young friend, guaranteed, he boomed, slapping me on the back. Just 500 American bucks. U.S. greenbacks. A steal, you think? Am I right? Who can put a price on such a treasure? If I wasn't already rich beyond my dreams, I would never part with it. What do you say, my young friend? I'd been sent here by the librarian to find this Necronomicon, but I knew it would never come this easy. Where was the trial in it? If it was just sitting here in a pile of old books, why hadn't somebody else found it? Nope. I figured the guy sold books every day to schmucks using the same yarn. Nah, this ain't the book I'm looking for. It's old, I countered. This book is ancient. It's about to turn to dust. You better hurry, the guy growled, his voice not quite so friendly now. Look, pal, I'm not looking for just any old book of magic spells or the like. You ever heard of the Necronomicon? Or you just make your daily bread shilling guys like me? And besides, I'm not even a guy like me. Now, you know the Necronomicon or not, I demanded, getting to my feet and laying out my escape route, in case the guy and his buddy got any funny ideas. The old man grabbed the tea glass and saucer out of my hands and glanced at the stack of carpets. Why you keep looking over there? You a crazy man? You seeing things? You say you want to know about the gin, but you won't pay. Get out. Get out of my shop. You got no money. You won't pay for this treasure that could make all your dreams come true. You crazy. Get out of my shop. I was glad to get out of there but not thrilled to see the other guy get up and follow me outside. So this was the game. You can't fleece the sheep the easy way. You follow them into an alley and gut them like a carp. Yeah, except nobody does old Frank Enfield that way. I stuck my hand in my coat and relaxed as my thirty-eight slid reassuringly into my hand. <laughs> That's useless here, Sadiki Amriki. The laughing voice was somewhere between a commanding boom and a soft, sensuous echo in my left ear. I swung around to face the silent figure who'd followed me from the old guy's shop. I gripped my gun and glared him down. He was tall. Taller than me, and powerful, but nimble like a dancer. Dressed in black robes and leather boots, his blue-black beard was braided in two long points, little beads woven into it, and his long braided hair had sticks and a bunch of little carved whatnots dangling in it. The black smudge they call coal made designs around his eyes, and down his chin, and on his forehead, and from his neck hung bones and tiny bells on a silver thread. He didn't look like anybody else in this whole strange land, teeming with miraculous characters. From the sash at his waist hung a wicked-looking blade that could have carved me up into chops, before I even got the 38 out of my coat. It was his eyes, though, that made me forget the 38. Swimming with murky ink, tinged with bloody red fire around the edges, the eyes were laughing at me. Spidey didn't need to tell me this man wasn't no man, 
and I'd found my way into what I'd come here to find. Those strange old magics that don't keep themselves hid, the librarian had warned me about. Easy. Easy, the man said, his voice calming me almost against my will as he locked me with his eyes. You cannot hurt me with that gun, and as a foreigner, you do not want to make a spectacle of yourself. Too many eyes watching. You want the Necronomicon? You follow me. I will tell you about the old sheikh who brought that book into being. It is a long tale, not meant for the streets. Come. Come with me to my place. It is not far from here. I had no choice but to go with him. And based on the look of that guy's eyes, I tended to believe him when he said I couldn't take him out with my thirty-eight. So I followed him down narrow streets, clogged with ragged kids, beggars, women covered up head to toe, and merchants selling every possible thing under the sun. We'd been walking for what seemed like hours as the crowds thinned and the streets got narrower, and everything looked even older and more primitive. Only furtive eyes glanced at us from darkened doorways as we passed. Now and then, the red glow of a cigarette cast a pale glow over a face, and I was glad to be in the company of somebody impervious to the slug of a thirty-eight. Don't look at them, my guide hissed, and I obeyed without question. A voice seeped toward me from the doorway. Come, Said. I have food and water. Come, take tea. Rest here a moment. Before I could even turn, my guide spun around like a huge black cat and hissed angrily at the voices in the doorway, and the figure flowed deeper into the shadows. I said don't look at them, he barked, showing teeth that were very long and razor sharp. Finally, we came to the end of the street, but it was barred by a massive wooden door carved with intricate designs. It was an iron knocker the size of my fist, and the door swung silently open and closed behind. We were in the courtyard of a ruined place, fountains still running with water, orange trees heavy with fruit, and dozens of rooms rising all around us, each opening on the courtyard with little wooden balconies. The strangest music filled the air, and my guide, whose name I still didn't know, led me to a low table and a bench covered with rugs where we sat. Before long, a young boy with the same strange eyes brought us tea and plates of things that were sweet and delicious. So, Mr. Enfield, the man said with a deep sigh, the librarian has sent you to find the Necronomicon. That one will not know a day's peace until he possesses that accursed tome. What? You know the librarian? I choked, guessing this was the librarian's old acquaintance. <laughs> yes. He sent word you were coming, and I must find you, he said, combing his long, thin fingers through his beard. Tell me about him, then. Where does he live, this librarian? I asked, still not sure what I was dealing with here. And that old magics might have all kinds of ways of knowing things. Ah, just so. You test me. Very good, Mr. Frank Enfield. The librarian lives on the river that runs to meet the embrace of the sea, he said like he was reciting thousand-year-old poetry or something. It is named the Hud's Song. Yeah, thanks. I had to be sure, I added, smiling at the mangled name. And what's more? 
he added, beaming with delight. His friends, those that fly on black wings, their voices raised forever in song, he said, standing up and stretching his arms out wide. <laughs> he boomed, his voice filling the courtyard and causing a hundred faces to peer down at us from those little balconies. But, he continued, sitting back down knee to knee with me, his voice low and conspiratorial, his nose not an inch from mine. When they walk the earth, they wear the bodies of old men, is it not so? He concluded with a grin and a wink. <laughs> yeah, that's them, the geezers, I laughed, and threw back my tea like it was a shot of whiskey. Then there is the woman. He grinned, his eyes glittering. Ah, yes, the woman, the glorious woman, tall, hair like wheat drying in the summer sun, eyes the color of the sky after the rains of spring. The woman is like Diana of the Greeks, her mighty bow of victory ever ready. Her arrows called bolts fly, and they never miss. She fires once, twice, ten times, or a hundred, and she never misses, he said, his voice no more than a whisper, his features animated with joy. I was speechless. Whatever he was, this guy knew my associates pretty damn well. With this last utterance, I wondered how well he knew Brenda, and I bristled. I see, so you know them, I said sullenly. And they know me, he said proudly. That's great, pal, but I don't know you. What's your name? I demanded, wanting to even things up. My name is very low, he began, the fire in his eyes flickering wildly. Try me, I said, with a bit of an edge to my voice. You could not pronounce it. Try me. I'm trying to be kind, Mr. Enfield. Your mouth is not formed to speak my name, and no human tongue may speak the language of the jinn. <laughs> you mean you're some kind of genie? I said with a grin. Genies, I knew. What kid didn't know about Aladdin? So, where's your magic lamp? The eyes darkened, and I realized genies, the jinn, were not the cute little fat guys in the cartoons, and they weren't to be messed with. I thought back to the old guy in his store and the quote he'd read me about the jinn in their holy book. So, like everything else, there was good ones and bad ones, but they were all powerful magic. Say, those things in the doorways, were they? They were, but their tribe means you harm, so you must not look at them. Why? How come? They are the enemies of your kind. They will destroy you if they can. Do as I say. No explanations on them. All right, all right. So, what about this Necronomicon? You were going to tell me about the guy who has it. For the next hour, I listened to stories about an old priest, my guide called him a sheikh, who had been seduced by bad jinn and a lot worse, and by his own lust for power and forbidden knowledge. The guy had wandered out into the desert, killed his traveling companions, and tossed them down some cursed well where a demon lived, as in human sacrifice. He changed his name from his Arab moniker to Abdul El-Hazrat, still Arab I guess, and then went on to have a bunch of devilish trials in the desert before falling into a bunch of maniac visions and waking up with the book that he wrote himself while he was under the influence of who knows what, madness, evil genies, weird juju elixirs they cook up out in the desert, who knows. Thing was though, this book had the power to split open the cracks between the worlds, 
and the secret places in the universe that people just aren't supposed to mess with. The guy had let loose a string of monstrosities into the world and a lot of bloody bodies in his wake. The big fear was there was a curse on the book, and if the right wizard or whatever got his mitts on the thing, he could end the world. There were folks out there wandering around who wanted to do just that, end the world, and usher in some hideous new order of things under questionable management. According to this djinn, folks like me, humans and guys like him, good djinn, really, really didn't want that to happen. It made sense why the librarian wanted this particular mess of scribbling out of circulation. So where do I find this Abdul Al-Hazrad? I asked, wanting to get the show on the road. The djinn just put his head back and started howling with laughter. <laughs> but I didn't get the joke. <laughs> Mr. Enfield, Abdul Al-Hazrad lived many centuries ago. He still exists, but not in any place where you could look for him. And I will tell you this. There are many Necronomicons, he explained, noting my face sinking and my eyes rolling. Just so. It has been copied many times and in so many languages translated. I do not know why the librarian has sent you to this goose hunt. Wild goose chase. Not the first time. But there's always a reason. I can't stop now. I gotta look for it. If nothing else, find a copy and bring it to him. These little treasure hunts aren't always what they seem, but they're important, even if I got no clue what the big guy is up to. Besides, now I'm curious. I want to know more about it. Can you help me? I may be able to. You are here, are you not? I am Jin, am I not? And the librarian has sent you to me. Be ready at first light. We will go into the desert and see which of her secrets she will share with us. I know the certain oasis. My head nodded onto my chest and I jerked awake, not realizing I had even fallen asleep. It was dark. The place felt empty despite the number of faces that had been watching me from above, and a small fire burned in a brazier nearby. I lighted a torch and started exploring, passing room after room where solitary black figures huddled around braziers and a couple of larger rooms where numbers of djinn crouched together, playing games of chance or telling stories. Each time, they turned and looked at me curiously, nodding without saying a word. On the ground floor, I found a room with a bed and my bags heaped in one corner. Stripping down to my boxers, I climbed into bed. The place felt okay, and Spidey hadn't let out a peep. Just the same took out the juju doll from my pocket and set it on the table by the bed. And then I knew no more. Much later, I awoke with a start. The place was dead silent, and I wondered what had roused me. Then I heard it. Somebody crying outside in the street somewhere. I could tell it was a kid, a little boy. He carried on like that, just sobbing and it tugged at the old heartstrings, and I couldn't ignore it. I went out to the window and saw him, just a pitiful little kid in rags, bawling his eyes out in the dusty street, and there wasn't a soul in sight. Hey kid, what's the matter? I yelled, figuring he didn't speak any English, but it was worth a try. He just looked up at me and then moved on down the road a bit, and started in again on the waterworks. 
the djinn had said not to set foot out of this place, but there was nobody around, and only a heartless so-and-so would leave a kid alone like that. I got dressed and headed out the front door, but was immediately assailed by hissing in my ear, like a horde of bees. It was voices. Do not go out there. I could almost feel the breath on my ear. You must stay here. You cannot go. Came another, and then dozens of voices filled the air, all demanding I return to my room and obey the one who had commanded me to remain. But Frank Enfield ain't no so-and-so, and I was going out there to make sure the kid was okay. Easing my way down the hall with nothing but a candle, I glanced in every room on my way out and saw countless pairs of red, fiery eyes staring at me, but no one made a move to stop me. Of the tall Jin himself, there was no sign, no problem. I'd see the kid was okay and be back in five minutes tops. The massive front door swung open and shut behind me, and I spotted the kid staggering down the street like he was sick or something. He couldn't have been more than five or six. Hey kid, wait up, I yelled. You okay? But he just kept walking, the echoes of his pitiful weeping driving me nuts. I was barely able to keep up and tried to keep track of where I was going. But then the kid turned a corner and disappeared, and I closed in after him. He was just standing there in the shadows, and then he wasn't, and the ragged little cloak he was wearing just dropped into the street. I rushed up and picked up the heap of rags, thinking my eyes were playing tricks on me, but he was gone. Right about then, Spidey let out a yelp, but his warning came too late. Something very cold and very sharp was drawn across my throat from behind, and I knew I'd been played. A hood was thrown over my head, and my hands were yanked behind my back and tied, and the business end of that something sharp poked me in the ribs, and I took that for orders to start walking. So the kid was a mule, set up outside my window to lure me out into the hands of fate. It crossed my mind that somehow the librarian would know what was happening, and the cavalry would show up. But what seemed like hours later, there was no rescue. No flapping of friendly wings overhead. Nothing. I knew we'd left the city because all the smells went away, and the sounds of animals and people doing what they do at night gave way to a gentle breeze. Under my feet was what my trips to Coney Island told me was sand. I couldn't tell how many had nabbed me, but it was a few because I could make out several different voices. I had no idea what they were saying, not being well-versed in whatever these guys were speaking probably Arabic, so I just held my tongue and waited. Every few minutes, the guy behind me jabbed me in the ribs with his knife and then started cackling with laughter, and then they all joined in. We must have gone on like that for better of an hour or two when somebody up ahead screamed, and I could hear a bunch of scrambling around and more screaming. Somebody grabbed the hood off my head and cut the ropes binding my hands together. The guy was bellowing something in my face, his eyes wild and not even focused on me, as he shoved me in the direction of a mass of black-robed figures flooding away over the sands, and then they were gone. As in a dream, I looked down and saw my feet sinking in what looked like red mud. A bloody red stain was spreading fast across the sand, 
and I jumped back away from it and saw the tortured flailing bodies of three of my late captors being sucked down into the mucky red sand and then disappearing completely. I don't imagine I'll ever forget the look of horror and fear on those crazed faces as they were swallowed up or the gruesome sound of crunching and grinding that followed. Getting clear of the spreading stain, I could see a lot of fluttering around beneath the sand, like things were swimming around down there. I hightailed it. No way it was the men still struggling for their lives. I knew they were goners, and I sure as hell didn't want to tangle with whatever had got a hold of them, or even get an eyeful of what it was. I was smack dab in the middle of the desert, and with no lights in sight, I was a long way from Cairo, with no idea what direction to head in. The moon provided enough light to see, but I just sat there, figuring this was the end of the road for old Frank Enfield. Half-dressed and barefoot, I'd never survived the blistering sun on the next day, and what was the likelihood anybody would find me? I hoped the gin would get over being riled I'd disobeyed orders and come looking for me, if only for his old pal the librarian's sake. I kind of felt like a jackass, though. I wouldn't be out here if I'd done like the gin fella had told me. But goddammit, there comes a time in a man's life when he just can't gall sitting there with his hands under his ass, taking orders like a kid. Especially when he thought he was playing the big hero. But where'd it gotten me? I was knocked out of that line of thinking by a twinge up my backside that told me Spidey was up and nosing around. Yeah, something wasn't right by a Kentucky Derby mile. The breeze was blowing in a different direction, and the smells weren't the same as they'd been just a few minutes ago. But it was the moon that had me on my feet with a lump in my throat. It wasn't where it had been, and it now was full. There was smoke in the air, too, fragrant and heady, like the incense the librarian burned on certain nights at his office. I loved that smell. There was another smell, too, that brought the bile into my throat. And I hated that smell. There was lights now, too, off in the distance, and I decided that was as good a direction as any. I might be able to find somebody to help a dumb lost foreigner back to civilization. I made my way over the sand, and a low white dome building all by its lonesome appeared on the horizon. No town or houses or any other sign of life, just that white dome up ahead, shining beneath the moon like it was sucking all the light right out of her. A few hundred yards more, and the smells were suffocating, and the sounds of weird chanting and crying out, and other sounds I found utterly loathsome, stopped me dead in my tracks. I knew this wasn't some place I wanted to go, but rather turn tail and run. The juju man part of me was certain of only one thing, though. I'd gone over to the other side, somewhere between my forced march as a captive and dragging my feet out of the bloody mess in the sand. I was here on the librarian's business, and just maybe this place right here was exactly where I needed to be. I was deep in Egypt's old magics now, Arab juju by whatever name they call it, where genies roamed the streets and smoked cigarettes from doorways and invited you home to tea. I stuck my hand in my pocket grabbing for my juju doll, and came up empty. It was still laying on a table by my bed, back in that ruined palace. So be it then. I was, for the first time in my life, 
in the hoo-ha regions completely on my own with no backup. If the djinn hadn't shown up by now, likely as not, he wasn't going to. So I steeled myself and walked up to the front door of what was about the size of a small domed house, all whitewashed and painted up in red with designs and stuff, maybe writing, maybe something else. I hesitated for only a second before kicking the rotted wooden thing off its hinges, and nobody noticed. I plowed through a crowd of what must have been 50 people in dirty robes seated on the floor, swaying back and forth, mumbling, chanting, crying out in strange guttural ululations that didn't even sound human, and sobbing the tears of a muddy river down their faces. The light from a bunch of candles and a few smoking braziers dimly lit the scene, along with a rough skylight that let in the moonlight and a trace of fresh air. The smoke was so thick, I couldn't see what the crowd was facing up front, so I just kept on squeezing through the stinking mass of people that sat knee to knee, bobbing back and forth, knocking into each other, nobody seeming the wiser for it. One of the guys flailed his arms around, almost knocked one of the braziers over, and got a nasty burn in the process. But he didn't even notice. Stumbling through the roiling smoke and noxious fumes, I tripped and fell flat on my face on the dirt floor. Looking up, I got an eyeful of a monstrosity that made everything else I'd ever seen in my life in the ways of juju, paint, the black magic, and the white look like kids' play. I'll never forget that sight, and Lord knows I'll spend the rest of my life trying. It was the image of a man, older than any man should ever rightly live. His arms and legs busted horribly in several places. Even his neck was skewed at an unnatural angle. The arms were jimmied into the body of some lunatic stick figure, and the legs were twisted down beneath his body and seemed to be growing out of or into the earth itself, like muscled bloody tree roots that oozed some kind of unholy sap. But it was the face that made me almost lose my nerve. The eyes were locked on mine like a howitzer, and the mouth was a twisted, toothless grin, trembling from some kind of despicable pride. The thing was alive. The thing was alive. The priest or sheikh or whatever they'd call him of this unhallowed congregation. In my disgust and horror, I almost didn't notice the book, the massive rotted leather book that was embedded deep into the flesh of the thing's chest, the skin grown up around it. I knew I'd found what I was looking for. This was Abdul Al-Hazrad, the man himself in the flesh, and still alive and kicking, in a manner of speaking. And this was the infernal book itself, the Necronomicon, first edition, and the bilious founts from which all other accursed and hideous copies spewed into the world like weeping spores. One by one, each man staggered to his feet and shambled toward Alhazrad, and then reached up and locked his mouth on the river of oozing sap that dripped incessantly from a hundred wounds. As the sucking commenced, Alhazrad's eyes rolled back into his head in some sort of ecstatic trance, while the book itself pulsed and glowed like a preternatural heart and emitted the buzzing sound, as if a million insects nested inside it. I couldn't turn away. All I could do was stare at the throbbing presence and its slobbering sycophants and try not to breathe. 
I vaguely became aware that I too had gotten to my feet, and somebody was shoving me forward into the thick of the worshipping, like they thought I was going to take that withered limb in my lips and partake of that vile sacrament myself. But no, absolutely goddamn fucking not. Somewhere deep inside, part of me dropped into a crouch, cold, menacing, and growling. Its snarling teeth let loose its warning through my mouth and flexed its claws. I remember somebody sometimes saying, Your war is not my war. I knew there was no way I was going to touch that filthy book, and I sure as hell wasn't going to yank the bleeding thing out of Alhazrad's chest and try to make a run for it. Live to fight the good fight another day and all that. So I turned and bolted for the door, knocking sweating, groaning bodies out of my path and shivering as the thing on the dais roared with hollow laughter. I staggered out into the clean, cool night air and took the first deep breath in I don't know how long. I looked overhead and saw the sky was filled with stars that rained down the sides of the sky all around me like I stood in some kind of glass dome. I stared at my hands, surprised to not see bloody claws. Somewhere behind me, I heard a horse snuffle. I reeled around and saw him, a djinn, sitting atop something that looked like a horse, except it was blue and made of what looked like fire and water and starlight all mixed together. He reached down and grabbed my hand and hoisted me onto the thing's back. We were off like lightning. The raining stars slowly went away as we rode through what looked like heat waves that rippled over the sand. But I felt good. I felt damn good. And by God, this Arab juju was all right in my book. The moon came back to her rightful position in the firmament, and I saw the lights of a vast city appear up ahead, and I knew we were back in Cairo. I was glad to be out of the desert, whatever it had been and waited until we were back into the ruined palace to say my piece. Alright, sorry if I fucked up. And I'm mighty grateful you saved my hide, I began sheepishly. What is this fucked up? I don't understand, he said, looking at me like I'd grown a fish out of the top of my head. I shouldn't have ignored your warning not to go out. I just... I began, but a hand shot out in front of my face, and I knew better than to open my yap again. You have a good heart, Frankenfield. I knew that would be your weakness, so I sent the boy to lure you out. And I knew your big head, your spirit, couldn't resist the call to be a man of heroic deeds. <laughs> Am I wrong? He cried, <laughs> laughing and slapping me on the shoulder. Am I wrong? No. I am never wrong when it comes to you, sons of Adam. He added, bristling with obvious pride. Sons of Adam? I asked. You humans. I am of the sons of smokeless fire. My tribe, the Jinn, we know humans better than they know themselves. So, you sent the boy to lure me out. And I almost got killed. I got nabbed out there in the streets. And where were you? None of this was making any sense. But I really wanted it to. For some reason, I liked this guy. And I wanted to believe he was on my side of things. That the librarian hadn't unwittingly sent me flailing headlong into the arms of an enemy. I was watching you, he whispered the dark red flames at the edges of his eyes darting across his irises like tongues. And if you had died, oh well, all things must end, he added wistfully. Watching me? Why? I demanded. But he just smiled and sighed. Did the librarian tell you nothing of the djinn? Nothing. 
I am of the Sons of Smokeless Fire, he said again, like it was a declaration. You already said that. Now, what the hell's going on here? I never left your side, Flankenfield. Not from the time you left this house to this very moment. My companions would never hurt you, not really. And I am sorry some of them have suffered on your account. Those guys were your friends? And you didn't think to tell me? Oh, you wanted me to hold your hand on your ordeal in the desert. How can you grow in power if you know your trials before they take you? The librarian did not mention that you were a child, a beginner in these matters. Is that what you are, Frank Enfield? A beginner? A novice to these magics? How embarrassing for you. He clucked, pretending humiliation on my behalf. I was feeling played again, and, as usual, it was all the librarian's doing. But this was no game. The Necronomicon was real. I'd seen it. And Abdul Al-Hazrad was alive, and his worshippers were all too real. I had no doubt that book was as shitty a piece of magic work as there ever was, and I felt that just by being in its presence, I'd somehow lost another kind of virginity I never knew I had. What about the book? I didn't get the Necronomicon. There was no way to do that and live, or be sane and whole. And so I'll be going back to the librarian empty-handed. He won't like that one damn bit. Frank Enfield, the librarian knew you would not bring the Necronomicon back to America. How foolish you are. Did you not learn something in the desert? Did you not find something of yourself in that foul temple? Some dark paths run through all the worlds. There is no locking them away for safekeeping. They will always bleed their foul mysteries into the world and make monsters of us all. To make ourselves strong, we must fight them. Harness our darkness and make it do our bidding. He hissed through his teeth with his fist in front of my face. Or we will not remain free of their grasp when they come for us in the space between the stars and in the places within our hearts where it is forever midnight. I just sat there, letting it all sink in. You found your way to Al-Hazrat without my help. Think on that, Frank Enfield. Think on that. And wonder how. I nodded at what he said, knowing he was speaking the truth. You must know this too, Mr. Enfield. The woman faced the Necronomicon before you, and she prevailed. She took away great power from that dark temple, as you did if you recall what was awakened within you. Yes, I do, I said, making a fist of my own and pounding the soft carpets beneath me. And there is one more thing. Think of it as a souvenir. What? This book, one of the children of the book that dropped its roots into the world. You may take it home, give it to the librarian if you like, or keep it as a souvenir of your journey to my lands, the lands of the sons of smokeless fire, he said tossing a paperback book into my lap. Read the first page and wonder upon the power of the djinn. The book in my lap said, The Necronomicon on the cover, and bore the name of someone called Simon. Flipping the first couple of pages open, it said it was published in 1978, 30 years in the future. It was a cheap-looking thing, and bore no resemblance to the massive leather-bound monstrosity growing out of Al-Hazrad's chest. Remember, Frank Enfield... The sons of smokeless fire are not confined to space and time as are lesser, well, the sons of Adam, he added, grinning. Give this book to the librarian so he will know the djinn showed you good hospitality and that I understood his joke. His joke? Just a joke between friends. Now, sleep. Tomorrow you return to your own lands 
and I must retrieve the bodies of my companions from the city of Blood Sands. They will be quite angry I took so long to come for them. You mean they're not dead, I said, glad to hear it, even if I had thought they planned to sell my hide. In the end, they had set me free. Dead? What do you mean? The djinn do not die? Oh, Frank Enfield, the librarian has much to teach you. So very much to teach you. His words faded off, and I drifted into a place where it was nighttime, but all the stars and the moon were in their rightful places. I just sat there in the darkness, feeling something inside me awaken again and stretch its powerful clawed feet. It rose up and started to prowl around inside all the hidden places in my mind and elsewhere, within the many houses of the mansion that is Frank Enfield. Somewhere, I heard Spidey giving it the guided tour, and somewhere beyond that, I heard the librarian laughing. <laughs> A little flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you could save at PenFed.org slash autorefi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. A little flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you could save at PenFed.org slash autorefi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA.